Good morning. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, if you're a visitor with us, welcome. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. You are going to hear a lot of little voices today. Last week and this week, we actually closed our nursery. So our under kinders are usually not with us in the service, but the last, last week and this week they are, um, which is really a joy to hear them and to have them with us. Um, but we want to do something just kind of a little fun for the kids this morning. So if you are a child, if you are a toddler, if you are a teenager, if you want to come up to the front, we're going to do uh, just kind of a, a quick little kids lesson up here at the front. Littles, you have, they're welcome to bring a parent if a mom or dad wants to sit with them. And also teens, if you would like to come sit and be a helper with some of the littles, that would be great. So kids, if you want to come up here to the front, y'all can sit kind of right here. Be brave. I, I won't hit you, I promise. sit here. So y'all be like right here and on the stairs. Y'all do that. Y'all come gather up. Can you see me? Yay. All right. Good morning, guys. Pop quiz. Does anybody know what today is? Just tell me. It is Sunday. <laughs> it is New Year's Eve. It is December 31st, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, do you know what New Year's Eve means? Does that have any significance to you, Jovi? It's the day before New Year's. That is true. Today is the day before New Year's. So tomorrow will be January 1st. It marks the start of a new year. Uh, and I don't know if it's a big deal in your house or not. It's not really in ours. Um, but a lot of times you'll hear grown-ups talk about making a New Year's resolution. They're going to start a new habit or a new goal or a new routine. They're going to do something new in the new year. And the goal is usually to get better. That's something, whether it's something that you've wanted to learn or something that you just kind of do a bad job at right now and you want to be better at it. A lot of times, grown-ups will do a New Year's resolution. Um, you should ask your parents, like, on March 1st how the New Year's resolutions are going. They need accountability. It's a good help. Um, do any of you have New Year's resolutions? Okay, a couple. That's good. Is anybody trying to learn something new this year? I hope so. All of you should say yes to that. We're going to learn something new. Is anybody going to start a brand new morning routine and wake up at 5 a.m.? No. Your parents say no. Don't do that. You guys can start your mornings at like 8 or 9. would be great. would be great. All right. Well, I want to read to you something real quick. This is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 and 19. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So essentially what that's saying is that if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, if Christ is the Lord of your life, then you are a new creation. You are not the same person that you once were. And it's interesting to, to read that on New Year's because I think we often have this goal of being a new person. Who wants to be better? Who wants to be smarter? Who wants to be cooler? Who wants to have way more skills and talents? 
me. I would like all of those things. However, those are not really the goal. When we think as Christians about getting better, what we really should be thinking of is getting closer to Christ, knowing him more and doing what he wants. So I'm going to show you real quickly a little example of how I think we sometimes try to do this whole getting better thing. Okay, Um, let's see. Yeah, Sheila, will you hold this for me? You can hold it up. This is you, everyone. You're very beautiful. This is you. Now, when you're first born, you're sweet and cute and wonderful, and oh my goodness, your parents are obsessed with you. You do almost nothing wrong except cry in the middle of the night, and it's lovely, okay? But as you start to grow up, you do bad things. You're pretty selfish, and you just want to be all about yourself, right? doesn't matter if mom and dad are busy. I want my snack now. And then you get a little older, and we do more bad stuff. We sometimes hit our brothers and sisters. Uh, We sometimes are mean to kids at school. We sometimes keep a toy for ourselves, even though we know somebody else might have really liked to have that toy. Um, Sometimes we sneak around and do things when mom and dad aren't watching. That's not good. Sometimes we tell lies. We say something that is not true. And when you do these things, these are called sins, right? Anything bad that we do that doesn't honor God is called sin. And as you grow up, you have more and more and more sin in your life. And you get to the point that you're covered in sin. And if you really stop and think about it, it can be a little discouraging because we think, wow, I do so many bad things. But, but, there's hope, right? We can just try to be nicer. So maybe we'll just wipe some of that sin off, except it's not coming off. Well, well, maybe, maybe we can just be really kind to other people and give lots of money and do lots of really wonderful things, and that'll cancel it out, right? But it doesn't. Well, I know. What if, what if we sold our house and gave everything we had away, and we had absolutely nothing, and we only did good things always, and we never told lies, we only gave people compliments, and all we did was cover up the bad stuff with good stuff, and we could just do as much good things as we could possibly do, and cover it up with good things. Are we clean? No. And sadly, this is what the world will tell you to do. If you just do more good things than bad, then you'll be clean, but that's not true, because a lot of times the good things we do we do for ourselves because I want to feel good about me. And that doesn't honor God. And so you know what? That's sin too. It's pride. It's yucky. It's gross. And this is really discouraging because now what are we going to do? We can't just keep doing bad things and we can't just keep doing good things for the wrong reason. So what are we going to do? Well, Second Corinthians tells us that in Christ we are made new. We are a new creation. Sheila, this is where it gets a little iffy. You can hold it but not in front of your face. Because this, friends, this is the blood of Christ. And I have good news. There is one thing out there that can take away. Oh, I got to turn it on. There's one thing that can take away your sin. It's getting everywhere. There's one thing. And it isn't good things. And it isn't just not doing bad things. It's the blood of Jesus. That is what takes away the sin. It covers the sin with his blood and it wipes us clean and you are pure as you first were when you had no sin. 
And this is what Christ does for us. This is his gift for us on the cross. And so I want to encourage you, if you hear talk of New Year's resolutions and if you're thinking about a new habit or a new goal or something new you're going to do next year to be better, that's great. But do you remember the gift of Christ? And do you remember that he's the only one who can really make you new? Awesome. All right, you guys can go back to your seats. And Jeremy, we'll turn it over to you. to turn it on <clears throat> before it will work. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So I thought it would be a good idea to get up this morning and ride my bike <clears throat> and pray and meditate and sing. And I think I'm going to lose two of my toes on my left foot and uh, <clears throat> sound really congested. So I apologize. I'm going to do a lot of clearing of throat this morning, but I think that we'll get through it. So, to get started, I want to read you something that I read, I don't know, a couple of times back that I preached, uh, and before I get started also, um, I wanted to say two things. <clears throat> One, Scott's out of the hospital, and if you wanted to, we could do like, where's Waldo, and look around and see if we could find him in here. I wanted to encourage you to pray two things for him. One, uh, that, that they would find a solution and that his body could be healed and he could be made well and get back to normal. And two, that you would pray for he and Dana not to be discouraged. Because something that's worse than being physically down is being mentally, emotionally, spiritually down. It's painful, it's hurtful. It's wearing, and so I would ask that you would pray those two things for them and then be very intentional with your words and reaching out and your deeds, okay? Uh, the next thing I wanted to do is just one more announcement before we get started. The budget is out here for 2024. If you want a copy of it, it's here. Also, I'll put out a message on women's and men's group me. If you want a copy emailed to you, I'll do that, but they're here, and then we will... Uh, give you guys a week to look over it, reach out to me or Brad or uh, the, uh, the ministry or the budget ministry team, who is me, Brad, Scott, Isaiah, Ashley Statham, Uray Inlow, Josh Parrish, Dave Otto. Okay, And if you forget that, you could text me and ask me who, and I can tell you which one of them you want to talk to, or you could just reach out to me if you have any questions about it. Then we'll present next week for you to ask questions in person, go over it, and then hopefully get your approval. Okay. Before we get started, let me read the lyrics of this song. I read it, as I said, it's been several weeks back. And I want to say up front, too, Full disclosure, 
I'm going to do sort of a topical sermon this morning. And I know that you're used to expositional sermons. I'm going to do sort of a topical sermon because I thought, what a great opportunity. Last week, I encouraged you uh, to, to find a New Year's resolution. But this week, I get to give you a New Year's resolution. I know that you're really excited about it. Um, the, the, the title of this song is Say the Word. <clears throat> Say the word and there is light. Say the word and dead bones rise. Every start and end hangs on your voice. For your word never returns void. Written in a billion skies, speaking to this heart of mine, all that I am with all creation, hanging on every word that you've spoken. And it will not be shaken. Clinging to life, clinging for life to all your promise, hanging on every word that you've spoken. Let's pray. We commit this time to you, Lord. We commit this word to you, the word that you've given me to preach. I ask that you'd speak through me clearly. I ask that you would strike hearts, mine included. And God, that you would bring us, bring us closer to you. Oh, Lord, that you would continue to make us clean that you would continue to increase the fruits of the Spirit in us, Lord, so that we may glorify you, so that others may see our good deeds, your work in us, and glorify you and come to you. I pray that over Fairway Baptist Church in this message this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Knowledge is proud that it knows so much. Wisdom is humble that it knows so little. Adrian Rogers. Knowledge is proud that it knows so much. Wisdom is humble that it knows so little. We're going to do a little quiz here. It's a how well do you know your Bible quiz. Now, I don't want you to say the answers out loud, okay? <clears throat> but I want you to say them in your head. And you just do a little bit of an inventory here. Number one, true or false, the Bible has errors in it. The Bible has errors or untruths in it. True or false? They get easier. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. True or false? Okay, this is in the Bible. True or false? True or false? Is this in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. Okay, how are you doing? You think you're doing okay? All right, this is in the Bible. True or false? God won't put on you more than you can bear. Is that in the Bible? How about this one? Bad company corrupts good morals. How about this one? True or false? The white, this is a Christmas one, so you should be well studied up, right? The wise men saw Jesus in the stable where he was born. True or false? Uh, is this in the Bible, and is it stated like this? He who spares the rod spoils the child. Is that in the Bible? How about this one? Idle hands do the devil's work. This one. Is this in the Bible? Let go and let God. You know, Scott says it up here a lot, but uh, I'm not sure if it's actually in the Bible. We should check that. How about this one? 
Did this happen? A donkey spoke to a man. Is that true? All right, and here's the last one. How many animals did Moses put on the ark? How many animals did Moses put on the ark? You're not supposed to answer. Okay, how about this one? Really, how many books are in our Bible? How many books are in the Bible that we use? Can you name the four Gospels? Who wrote the book of Acts? Who wrote the book of Hebrews? What book or books is the Sermon on the Mount found in? What book is, are the Beatitudes found in? What is considered the book of wisdom? What, gives a picture, what book gives a picture of marriage? What does the exodus from Egypt and the Passover feast in the Old Testament represent in the New Testament? Can anyone in here name all the books of the Bible? Surely somebody can. And why are those questions important? Why are those questions important? Because they show how in tune you are and how familiar you are and how well versed you are in the Bible. Knowing those things means you spent time in the word of God. Here's another question I have for you. How do we know how to live as Christians? It's here. This is how we know how to live as, as Christians. You've heard it said before, maybe, Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. We base our entire faith on the word of God. If any part of it is untrue, then the whole thing is untrue. And if it's all true, then we must live by it. But we can't live by it unless we know it. So you could probably guess what I think uh, would be a good New Year's resolution for you. Experiencing God, reality number four, says God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So I want to work through really quickly, I want to work through a scripture and talk about the importance of the word of God. And I want to say this to you. What I would challenge you is this. I would challenge you to look back on how much time you spend in the word last year. And really what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a quiet time or I'm talking about your time alone with God, whatever you want to call it, your time alone. Not your family time devotional, not the time that you come to church, not the time that you sit in Bible study, not your time with your spouse. I'm talking about your time alone where you take the word of God and you open it up and you read on it and you meditate, you read it and meditate on it and ponder it and take it in and memorize it and think on it and study it and let God through the Holy Spirit speak to you. Not, not podcasting not listening to sermons, you and God spending time in the word together so that he can reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways to you. And I would challenge you to look back to last year and think forward to next year and go, 
How can I get more of this? How can I know those questions? How can I know the answers to those questions? How can I know God more? How can I know how to live as a Christian? And, and let's branch out from just being a Christian to how can I live as a father? How can I live as a spouse? How can I live as an employee? How can I live as a representative of Christ? It's all found here. And it's only found here. And God's specific plan for you is only found here. I, I meet with a, a, a friend and we talk about the word of God. We're going through some discipleship material together. And, and we've come to the conclusion that it's much more important to read the Bible, to sit with the Bible in silence, than even to listen to the Bible being spoken. You know, you can find an app that will read the Bible to you. I'm telling you, it is vitally important that you take the word and you read the words in front of you. And you take them in and you meditate on the words. God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God or is inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or adequate, equipped for every good work. Every scripture is inspired by God or God breathed, meaning filled with the breath of God so as to be living oracles. There is power in this, in this book that you won't find in the books of Christian authors. There's power in this book that you won't find podcasting a sermon. There's power in this book that you won't find for sure in secular self-help books. The word is living. Well, how do we know that it's inspired? Let me read you some things. <clears throat> How do we know that it's inspired? We can do some deductive or inductive reasoning. Archaeological findings support the history recorded in Scripture. Though many unbelievers throughout history have tried to find archaeological evidence to disprove what is recorded in the Bible, they've failed. It's easy to see that, say that Scripture is untrue. Proving it to be untrue is another matter. In fact... It has not been done. In the past, every time the Bible contradicted a current scientific theory, the Bible was proven later to be true and scientific theory wrong, this author says. But here's a good example. Isaiah 40, 22. All the while, science declared the earth to be flat. The Bible stated that God, and I know this is now again a controversy... The Bible stated that God sits on the circle, sphere of the earth. Are you flat earthers? I don't know what to tell you. I should have put that in my list of questions. Is the earth flat? Here's another way that we know. And also, do you know that when Paul was out in the storm on the ship, they started cutting their anchors and that they recovered those anchors several years back? You're all familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we look at, we look at archaeological findings. And these, 
these get a little bit deeper as we go. Then there's the unity of the scripture. Listen to this. The Bible was written by approximately 40 human authors over a period of approximately 600 years. Excuse me, 1,600 years. The men were quite diverse. Moses was a political leader. Joshua, a military leader. David, a shepherd. Solomon, a king. Amos, a herdsman and fruit picker. Daniel, a prime minister. Matthew, a tax collector. Luke, a medical doctor. Paul, a rabbi. And Peter, a fisherman, fisherman among others. How interesting is that? The Bible was also written under a variety of circumstances. It was written on three different continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. Yet the great themes of Scripture are maintained in all the writings. Very consistent. So we look at the unity of Scripture. We look at also, we look at, I love this guy. He was my favorite one up here when they were doing the thing. Fulfilled prophecy. God spoke to men telling them things he would bring about in the future. Some of them have already occurred. Others have not. For example, the Old Testament contains more than 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ's first coming. There's no doubt that these are prophecies from God because of manuscripts dated from before the birth of Christ. These were not written after the fact, but beforehand. So we look at fulfilled prophecy. And then we look at experiential evidence. How do we know the Bible is true? Why, I would ask you this, why have you come here today? Why have you trusted your life to Christ? Why do you claim to serve and follow God? Because at some point we were exposed to the word, we read it, we've understood it, we've applied it, and we've experienced the truth and the power of it. So we can go from, we can look for archaeological findings, we can look at the unity of scripture, we can look at fulfilled prophecy. The reason that people are not saved is because they have not experienced the life-saving power of the word of God. I'm, as I was as I was preparing, um, I remembered back, um, especially for that last little uh, that last point. I was remembering back to Scott's recount of R.C. Sproul and what he said about the uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I wanted to read you a little bit more though um, from R.C. Sproul that kind of fills it out a little bit more. What does This is from R.C. Sproul. What does characterize the blessed person? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth he meditate day and night. It's not just blessed is the man who doesn't do this, but blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Jesus called it his meat and his drink. And then later, Jesus said he is the meat and drink. And to resist Satan and the forces of hell themselves, he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he said, the scripture cannot be broken. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the word of God. And that word does not, excuse me, and that word does he from time to time look at? A question. And that word does he from time to time look at? 
who studiously applies himself through the Bible in five minutes a day? No. In whose law he meditates day and night. Back to my New Year's resolution. I would, I would encourage you and challenge you. Look back to where you were last year. And the time you recorded, you logged in the word of God with him. And think forward to next year and go, how do I get more of this? Meditate on it day and night is the goal. The man who meditates on, takes in the word, and does the word. That's the one who experientially knows the word is truth. And then finally, how do we know that scripture is inspired by God or God breathed? Because God said it. Deuteronomy 10.2, I will write, God says, I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tablets which thou breakest and thou shalt Put them in the ark. He's talking to Moses. Remember Moses came down, saw what was going on and threw the tablets down. So God said, I'm going to write it this time. And you're going to put it in the ark. Romans 10, 14. God's word is truth and he cannot lie. Romans 14, excuse me, Romans 10, 14. John 17, 17. Jesus' words, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then a little bit more from R.C. Sproul. Why does he, the man, love it? Well, let's look at some of the things that are also contained in Psalm 119. I obviously don't have time here, he said, to exegete every verse in the chapter. But let's look at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abides they continue this day according to thine ordinances ordinances for all are thy servants the moors the taboos the customs of every human culture change from generation to generation but the psalmist loved the law of god loved the word of god because his word is settled we're talking about flat earth The philosophy and culture of man changes from age to age. It does. Remember when butter was really bad for you and salt was really bad for you, but now they're good for you again? I'm waiting for eggs to come back around, the egg yolk to come back around and be good for you again. Did you know that the white part of the egg is the highest form of concentrated protein and that the yellow part of the egg is the highest concentrated form of cholesterol? Do you think that that's by accident? Anyway, okay, just, just curious. R.C. Sproul goes on. <clears throat> I've mentioned many times in my reaction to the Christian bumper sticker. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. And then he says, huh? God says it, I believe it, now it's settled? No. If it's going to be a Christian statement, you say, God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If it's God's word, beloved, it's settled. And this is what the psalmist understood. And he says, it has been settled in heaven from eternity. Thank God that he convicted us of his truth and drew us in. And praise God, however it works, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility 
that we received it, accepted it, believed it, submitted to it, to be his. But it doesn't end there. And I've already said this, the Bible is true. And how do we know it's true? It's not because someone told us, it's by applying it to our lives. God said it, and we abide by it. Psalm 34, 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. How do we make it in a cold, hard world? How do, we, how do we sustain joy as believers when everything else changes but to hold fast to the word of God and to take it in and to dwell on it and to eat it? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. That's instruction or communication of information. It's the first step toward knowledge. And is useful for reproof, which is to expose, to convict, to reprove. We talked about that the job of the Holy Spirit over in, in Sunday school, in Bible study, the last couple of semesters, we talked about that the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world, to expose. And when I, when I went through the lesson, I put up in the slide, I put... Angela Lansbury up there from Murder, She Wrote. And I put up there Matlock. And I put up there the, the Law and Order, the original, the team that was actually really good, uh, the Law and Order team up there. Because these guys were so good at Angela Lansbury. What was her name? Jessica, I believe. So good at finding the facts and finding the truth and exposing what was going on, as was Matlock. And as you watch the show, more and more exposure is given. More and more revealing. And that's the goal or the purpose of the Holy Spirit as well. One of his jobs. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world. He will expose the world. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment... Because the ruler of this world is judged. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for reproof. It's useful for correction. Which is restoration to an upright state. Or a making straight. And I would ask you. What, path are, what kind of path are we on? Life is riddled with hurdles. And potholes, and curves, and hills, and hindrances. When John came preaching, it was prophesied that he would come and he would preach about making paths straight and smooth and, and basically making the path navigable. He was telling them, repent. Make the rough places smooth. Get right so that you can take in and hear and receive the word of God. For teaching, reproof, correction, for training, 
And this word for training is instruction that trains someone to reach full development or maturity. And so I would ask you, what does it mean to be mature? You know that someone can be mature for a two-year-old. You can say, man, he's really mature for a two-year-old. You could say, man, for a five-year-old, he's... He seems to be very mature. He says, yes, sir, no, sir, brushes his teeth. He obeys well. He understands instruction. He does it. Seems to be mature for a five-year-old. You could be mature for a 10-year-old. You could be mature for a 15-year-old. Or can you be mature for a 15-year-old? It's like there's this, there's this improvement. And then when we, hit, when, when we all, because we all did it, Hit the teen years, it's like this, what is going on here? You could be mature for a 30-year-old, and you could be immature for a 30-year-old. We look at ourselves, we look at ourselves as if we're adults now. I'm a believer, I'm a church member, I'm a Bible teacher, I am here. And we're just like two-year-olds in comparison to God, maybe. Maybe we're infants. But the word of God is for our maturity. It is to undo things that we have picked up and carried with us that are wrong for years and years. It is to prevent us from stepping into wrong thinking moving forward and wrong actions. How mature are you? How mature do you want to be? Have you been in the presence of the word of God and allowed it to have its refining and training effect on you it's to give you the way to live it is to convict you of the things that are wrong and expose them it is to correct you to get you on the right path and it is to bring you to maturity do you see the progression there in second timothy is useful for all these things let me look back at it All scripture is breathed out by by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Which which is uh, translated as judicial approval. And I would just point out that the root word here is right. Did you know the, the root word of righteousness is right? You know, and everybody, every one of us wants to be right, don't we? You probably wanted to be right this morning when you woke up, when you were getting ready for church. The way I avoid all that is I just go get out in the car and honk the horn until everybody gets in. You know, that's the easiest way to do it. I'm kidding. I, I don't do that. That's one thing that I've never done. But listen, we all want to be right. You'll have an argument this week and you'll want to be right. You'll have a disagreement with somebody. You'll want to be right. If you want to be right, you have to follow this progression that's laid out here. This is how we be right. And then you know what? Then when we're wrong, it teaches how to get right. Because you're going to be wrong. I'm going to be wrong. And it teaches how to get, get right through humility and asking for forgiveness and for re- and repentance and things like that. And really and truly so that you may be right according to God. 
and therefore be blessed. So that the man of God may be complete, ready, prepared, prepared for the immediate presence. Alfred Byrne says this, the idea here is not that anyone is absolutely perfect, but that the scriptures have laid down the way which leads to perfection. And that if anyone were perfect, he would find in the scriptures all the instruction which he needed in those circumstances. There is no deficiency in the Bible for man in any of the situations in which he may be placed in life. And the whole tendency of the book is to make him who will put himself fairly under its instructions absolutely perfect. To make him complete, immediately ready, in the present, and equipped, entirely outfitted. We go on hiking trips where we have to hike up with everything that we're going to eat, our bedding, all the things in our pack. So it's your sleeping arrangement. It is your food, which is really heavy. It is any kind of first aid that you need. Maybe a little bit of water to get up. It's your clothes. You have to take all this stuff up. And so there's always a dilemma. And there's always this wild text thread going on the night before we leave. Hey, are you taking this? Are you taking this? Are you going to take one of these? Are you going to take this? Hey, how much is your pack? How much does your pack weigh? How much, oh, your pack, oh. And so then when somebody's like, my pack's 45 pounds, you can feel good because yours is like 44. Like you're like doing better or something. But the idea is that you want to be equipped when you get there. You don't want to get up to the top and be like, man, he brought, he brought wieners to cook over the fire. One time Weston brought a steak and everybody was like, <laughs> I mean, mouths watering, standing by watching Weston. I don't know if it made you uncomfortable, but. When you get up there, that's, that's it. And if you needed medication or you needed first aid, we always try to take a nurse practitioner or two and a doctor or two. And we got some nurses that go. I'm always glad when the higher ranking uh, medical professionals are there. <clears throat> but you want to be equipped when you get there. You just want to have everything that you need and nothing more. The word of God is to make us fully, entirely outfitted. Barnes says this as well. The idea is that whatever good work the man desires to perform or however perfect he aims to be, he will find no deficiency in the scriptures, but will find there the most ample instructions that he needs. He can never advance so far as to become forsaken of his guide. If you want to be equipped for life, it is here. Let me ask you again. Have you thought back while I've been talking about your time that you spent alone in the word of God by yourself with him? And have you considered a New Year's resolution to have more of it in the next year? If you want to be equipped for life, if you want to know how to live, it's here. Is there any question that if a person wants to be successful as a Christian, that the word of God, the Bible, is imperative? And did you know also that you cannot overdose on this? You can eat too much dessert. You can overdose 
and you can exercise too much. You can get way off the rails on so many different things. You cannot overdose on the word of God. You can have as much as you want. So back to the questions at the beginning, if I can find them. There are no errors in the Bible. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. God helps those who help themselves, was said by Ben Franklin. God won't put on you more than you can bear is misquoted. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way out. Do not be, uh, do not be confused about this. God allows more on us than we can bear so that we'll fall at his feet. Praise him for that. Because we think we're so self-sufficient. And he brings us to a place where we realize our weakness. So that we can turn to him. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Uh, the wise men saw Jesus in the stable. No, they saw him two years after he was born. He who spares the rod spoils the child. It literally says, he who spares the rod hates his child. <clears throat> Proverbs 13, 24. Idle hands do the devil's work. It's not there. It's just alluded to. Let go and let God. It's not in the Bible, Scott. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know that Scott abhors Christian one-liners and cliches. I mean, thank you for letting me give you a hard time. Not that you had a choice. And this time he's not in the sound booth. He can't turn my mic off like he did that one time. <clears throat> a donkey spoke to a man, Numbers 22. How many animals did Moses put on the ark? It's my favorite question. It's my favorite Bible question of all time. Zero. It was Noah. I know you all knew that, so probably not very funny. Again, why are these, why are these questions important? Because they show that you've spent time in the Word. It's not a big deal for you to be able to be a, a champion at, at uh, uh, Bible trivia. It's important for you to know these things because it indicates that you've spent time with God, that you've been in the Word. And how do we get these answers? I'm glad you asked. Man, that little children's sermon took forever. I'll tell you what. So thankful for you, Ray. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. There's the taking in of information and then there's the doing what you've taken in. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Man, if people knew they didn't have to go buy a book, they probably got a Bible at their house, but they're buying self-help books and it's right here. The word of God is an anchoring force for us. So read the Bible consistently. Study the Bible thoroughly. Memorize the Bible regularly. In fact, did you know that there's a great opportunity coming up for you men that there's going to be, there are going to be discipleship groups where you will be challenged and encouraged to be in the word, to meditate on it, 
to take it in, to memorize it. What a great opportunity. I think there's going to be a sign-out up here. And it's on GroupMe as well. I already signed up. So if you want to be hip and cool. Worship team, you can go ahead and make your way back up here. As we close, I want to uh, read you a speech from one of our favorite Narnian characters. Now, if you haven't heard this story, I apologize in advance. In the uh, N.C.S. Lewis book, The Silver Chair, at the very end of the story, just when you think all is well, the witch shows up again, and they've freed the prince. And they think they're just about to make their way out, but she shows up, and she starts to play her instrument. And as she plays... They start to forget things. She's like, and what is this that you, you speak of? What, what land are you talking about? There's no land outside of here. They're, they're underground, in an underground world. And they start to forget, like her magic is working on them. And there's a... <laughs> this character's name is called Puddle Glum, and he is an eternal pessimist. And uh, he's really the unsung hero of the book. Uh, Through the whole thing, you think, my gosh, this guy's irritating. He's so obnoxious. And uh, and at the end of the story, he actually becomes the hero. He says, as she's playing and they're forgetting and they're thinking, yeah, what? There's no, what? This is the only world there is. There is no Narnia. There's no sun. There's no stars. He says... One word, ma'am. Coming back from the fire, limping because of pain, he had stomped out of fire. One word. All you've been saying is quite right, I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who always liked to know the worst and then put the best face I can on it. So I won't deny any of what you've said, but there's one more thing to be said, even so. Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things, trees and grass, sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you look When you come to think of it, we're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live as a Narnian as I can, even if there isn't a Narnia. So thanking you kindly for your supper, if these two gentlemen and the lady here are ready to go, we're leaving your court at once and setting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I shouldn't think, but that it's a small loss 
if the world's as dull a place as you say. Man, but what we know is that there is a sun and there are stars and there is warmth and there are trees and grass. All of these things we know are true. And I'll say this too. At the beginning of the story, they get word from Aslan on what they're supposed to do. He gives them four specific instructions. And all the way through, they're like, did he really say that? And they're confused. And you watch them sloppily make their way through. And the only thing that saved them in the end was one, two things. One, following his word. And two, that they had listened to and had experienced him and his goodness. Now, where are you at? Are you listening to him? Are you in his word? Are you obeying him, following him and experiencing his goodness so that when you get confused and when the witch tells you there is no God, there's no truth in here, there's no power for life, what are you going to do? Hopefully you're like Puddle Glum where you go, I don't care what you're saying, even though it makes a lot of sense. I'm clinging to what I know. I'm clinging to what I've experienced. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be on God's team, even if it seems false and not right, right now in the circumstance that I'm in. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for giving us truth and light. Thank you that we can hang and put the full weight of our cares and concerns in our life on your word, on you. Thank you for speaking this morning. God, let us encourage and challenge one another in this new year and let us be closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.